kudos to those guys, man. They had a great plan. They won the line of scrimmage. We didn't get off enough blocks and things of that nature. We didn't tackle well enough. Collins ran really well. I don't want to take anything away from them. This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome back, everybody. And you're in the second hour of In the Locker Room with Wolf, Starks, and the Ninjas, ESPN Pittsburgh, Steelers Nation Radio. Max, you know, Mike came out and just talked talked about the fact that they didn't win the line of scrimmage. I know we were going to talk James Washington, but it just popped in my head. You know, I mean, you do need to yeah. talk about it. You had a problem. You know, what do you make of all the poor tackling? Because we saw examples when, you know, Everett, the tight end, you know, he rolls on a, what, a 30, 40-yarder there with uh, pitch and catch, and you, you, you dust Cam Sutton, you dust Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, you got Schobert dragging along, finally trip you. There was example after example, as you were just talking about when we were off the air, of um, Alex Collins doing his Michael Flatley river dance, you know, high-stepping, using his feet, um, using his vision, and hitting it in the backside. Um, there was just a lot of poor tackling going on. Yeah, the, the, um, there was a lot of um, just missed opportunities um, that, that guys took either either overshooting their gaps or guys trying to play the inside and getting kind of walled because you want to set the edge to force flow back inside, right? right. That's the job of the outside guy or the emol, right? End man on the line of scrimmage. Right. And guys were trying to be, you know, for better or worse, you agree why they try and do it, right? You know, TJ took a couple of inside moves. Yep. And the tight end kind of got a little bit of wall, and Alex Collins kind of sidestepped him. Or backside, you know, flow, Joe Schobert trying to come over and scrape late, but then the tight end kind of came <clears throat> and pushed the guy. So there was that. There was a run-throughs, like by Devin Bush. You know, a couple times where Devin's, like, running through the lane, and you're running it right back into the natural cutback of the of the of the running back, so he's going to cut, and there was nobody there on the backside. So there was just, a, and then when we got to the perimeter, you know, the biggest thing was as an offensive line, you wanted to get your running back to the second and third level. Well, he was getting to the second and third level untouched because of yes. the way that we were playing it, and we played a lot of nickel um, against what I would have still thought were base oaky fronts that we could still keep a three four out there and still stay stout. Right. At the line because they were, they had a huge tendency for running the ball and throwing quick screens um, that they could have played base. Like there was nobody you had to worry about losing a foot race to outside of Metcalf and Lockett. And you could have done that with your two safeties and your two corners. So it was that was one of the frustrating things. I think they gave Freddie Swain a lot more um, respect. That's why they played a lot more nickel when they were three wide. Mm -hmm. Even though Swain wasn't getting as many of the looks and, uh, you know, and, and the targets, it was it was a threat of him that kept us in nickel, and that's where we got exposed. Because there was a number of times, Wolf, when I was watching, especially, you know, breaking down the film, where we were running 4-2 wide. Do you know what that is mm -hmm. in the nickel package? Yep. Like center and one of the guards is uncovered. Yep. I was like, why would it? I would run on that. Everybody wants a six-man box, and then you're going to uncover the, the middle of the offensive line? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm around. And they took full advantage. So that was something worth schematic. And even one time I saw they had three outside backers in and Cam mm -hmm. on run plays. Right. So you had Mel Ingram, Highsmith, and Watt all in at the same time 
with um, Spillane, and then and then it was Spillane and then Schobert. So Dime was Spillane. Spillane was the Dime backer, and then in nickel it was Schobert um, with Spillane. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna run on this all day." And I'm and I'm a big physical offensive line because think about it: you have Dwayne Brown, right? You had you had um, Damian, Brandon Shell, yes, and Damian Lewis. Um, Gabe Jackson, yeah. Gabe Kyle Jackson, Fuller, all yeah. big road grader type of offensive right. linemen. And you're giving them a six-man box with undersized players. I'm running all day. So that was one thing schematically that it showed itself in the first half, like the missed tackling and everything else. But they were so good on third down covers that it made up for it. Then we got into the second half. They adjusted. We didn't. And our tackling was still the same. And that's what that was what I felt was a real big difference in that. The one problem, well, first of all, when you let a guy go 11 to 20 uh, carries, get five yards or more a pop, that's a big problem right there. All yeah. right. And like you said, he was getting to the second level without being touched. He was getting to the third level without being touched at the first or second level. All right. So, yeah. but we also saw him go base Oki. We saw Isaiah Bugs out there. We saw uh, Loudermilk out there. Um, and, and, the problem is when you're getting spun like a turnstile, like Isaiah did by Fuller in the center. I mean, it was I, that that was driving me nuts, you know, because Isaiah Bugs has shown an ability to stop the run. Isaiah Bugs has shown more, uh, you know, more strength and quickness and what he was displaying there. And you know, I, I I don't know what was going on. I do know that there were some words that that uh, Captain Cam probably had some verbage going in at least in the second half there where. When they came out in the third quarter, they had three three and outs. That was big for the Steelers to be able to re, you know, kind of regroup, get their equilibrium back in that fourth quarter, and force three three and outs. That said a lot, you know. Okay, you, 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 we reloaded here, and we got to stop the bloodletting. And they were able to up until when the last drive when Seattle came back to tie it. But the fact was, they at least got their footing back because they were just getting run out of the stadium. Yeah, that third quarter is one. If you, if we're talking about throwaway quarter, like hey, if you drop your lowest, you know, you know um, we have this thing where you, when, in our football pool, you can drop your worst week. And it's, it's a college football pool we do. You would want to drop that third quarter. Oh yeah. So far on the year, that was the worst third quarter or the worst quarter that they've played. And but then, like you said, they regrouped in the fourth, and then they came alive. I mean, T.J. Watt was like, all right. Enough of the smoke and mirrors. Let's just go at them and hammer them. And he did such a great job. Uh, and then Cam led the way. And I thought that that was telling because, like you said, it was so bad at certain points. But at the end of the day, they got the victory. They made the stops when they needed to. Right. You, That's you know, something you can't forget. Plays. Not getting no. lost in everything. Just what you're saying, Max. You can span, expand on this. It's not a style contest. This isn't about looking the prettiest and finishing the prettiest. It's about getting the W. It's about getting the W, and at the end of the day, stats are great when you're trying to compare it against other people, but what is the end product? That's what we care about. Yes, right now I know we're parsing bad performances at certain points, but at the same time, when it came something cutting time, we knew where this team stood. We knew that they held the tradition, they held the, the intensity that was necessary at the end of the game to get the job done. It doesn't matter how pretty it is. 
there's no style points. This isn't this isn't the the uh, college football playoff, <laughs> right? The CFP yeah. where style points matter. No, we we don't care. We win by one. We win by fifty. It's still just a W in the NFL because at the end of the day, your record is the only style point that matters. How many wins do you have, and do you have more of those than losses to get you into the dance later in the year? No question about it. I think you're you're exactly on. Look, Max, I I, I think to, you know you could flip it the other. Well, before we go move there, um, interesting to me is what do you do to rectify? Because there was one way back in my day. All right, Chuck would say, "All right, back to basics." Back to basics meant, okay, you got out hit at the line of scrimmage. When you have, uh, you know, Mike talks about losing the the battle at the line of scrimmage and so forth. Chuck just talked about getting out hit. So when you got out hit, you knew it was going to be one of those bad weeks because he was going to put, well, we were always in pads, but it became more scrimmaging, more one-on-ones, more fights, more conditioning, more all of the the bad stuff associated with back to basics. You can't do that anymore, all right? You can't practice tackling other than in training camp. But there are ways, you know, we, back in the, you know, in my gym when we had, I was, uh, we were training and teaching the martial arts and everything. We had what we called soft practice. I All was right? a student. I was a pad one. <laughs> yes. There you go. <laughs> and you understand. There's a, there's yeah. hard contact and there's soft contact. There's hard practice, soft practice. And one of the things that you can do is go back over the basics and talk about, you know, the regrouping basics, you know, feet first, you know, feet, hands, ahead. That's how you approach and you come to balance. You make sure you wrap up all those technical things that you know you do. You can do at a at a slower pace, and then go through it and and keep polishing your technique. The other thing that happens is like you and I both know, you've got to get into your mind. You've got to do the mental gymnastics that are so very important. Picturing yourself accomplishing the job on each and every play, which if I was a defensive player would include pass rushing. Um, tackling, that sort of thing. And it's important that these guys refurbish this technique in mind because you don't get enough practice at it during the season because you hardly hit, and you're certainly not going to tackle during during the season. So it's something that those are corrective measures you can do, uh, but it's not something that a lot of guys actively do. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, back, you know, went before the rules changed again um you know <laughs> we knew that if we had a bad week sh- double full pads right double full pads two chin straps let's go yeah it was double padded and then on friday you you still had to wear your shells which was i'm sorry the, the just just your shoulder pads and then shorts yeah so that was a week you you hated I, i'll never forget um this was in 2000 and 11 yeah 2011 after the lockout and i i was released before training camp Mm. and then the steelers brought me back week five okay of that year and i'll never forget walking into meetings uh the first team meeting and mike t looks up and says well guys welcome max back (laughs) and also double padded week no they're like, just for you, Max, to get you back into the fray because you had 11 months off 
we're going to go double. And the guys looked at me like I was. They hated you. I was the pariah. From, I was like, thanks, Mike T. I appreciate that. Now the guys are going to hate me even worse. And I just remember back to back. Now, I hadn't I hadn't practiced, practiced, well, with, with pads, a helmet, or anything. Because that was a year I hurt my neck. Okay. And we went to Super Bowl 45. So I, after week nine, I was out. After Halloween, we played in Cincinnati. I had the neck injury. We're out. I I haven't played until week five of the following year. Right. Hadn't, hadn't, hadn't taken a snap with pads on. And we went back-to-back padded practices. <laughs> Talk about an eye-opening moment. I'll never forget. And then after that, we walk into O-line meetings, and Coogs looks at me and is like, well, Max, nothing's changed. I was like, what do you mean nothing's <laughs> changed? Yep, we're going to go across the lineup. Uh, Max, you're at left tackle. <laughs> uh, Chris, you're at le- uh, left guard. Pounce, you're at center. Ramon, you're at right guard. Willie, you're at right tackle. All right, guys, any questions? <laughs> Got my hand raised. Got my hand raised. He's like, all right, good. All right, so let's get down to the breakdown. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I didn't get any questions asked, and, and it was just, I was like, oh, my gosh. But, man, we were ready to play Jacksonville. I'll tell you that was. <laughs> We were ready to run. I remember. I remember straight into the fire, man. Nothing like it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's no there's no checking the temperature of the pool. It's just a cannonball right into the deep end. Cannonball. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more. You're in the locker room with Wolf Starks and the Ninjas. I write it here on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. You know, it's really funny. Here you got the Stones playing on, on a nice Tuesday here in, in Pittsburgh. And, you know, the Stones just visited. They had a concert here. And you think, you know, these guys have been rocking it over 50 years together. But who would have thought way back when that Charlie Watts would be the first to punch out of that band? I mean, with Keith Richards and everybody else, you're like going, Charlie Watts, the, the lowest, I mean, the, the, the calmest guy, the, the least amount of party guy that I know of. I don't, I don't know Charlie Watts from anybody, but I mean, you know, everything you hear or read about, you know, Keith Richards is pretty wild. Mick was, uh, I guess, at one time pretty wild. But Charlie Watts, just very, I don't know. What did you ever think? Yeah, no, uh... When you think of the main two, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, I can only think that because it's appropriate as Halloween, they must be vampires. <laughs> uh, I know for a fact that Keith Richards has probably had full body blood transfusions. <laughs> like, 
really. he's had to cycle. He can't have original blood in his body. There's no, no way. <laughs> the amount of drugs and and partying and alcohol. Oh, he was like, how did? How are you still alive? And he's just still kicking, doing interviews, partying on stage for hours, sweating. I'm like. There's no way. There's, there's no way. And there's poor uh, Charlie Watts. He's the first. The guy was the calmest of anybody, you know? The normal guy. The normal guy. The normal guy. guy, exactly. The normal guy. He's oh, the one man. that, hey, I'll go show up, and, you know, I'm going to get to bed at a good hour. Right. You know, because we got to work tomorrow, guys, yep. you know? <laughs> Absolutely. But, I mean, but yeah, that that that's one that that's crazy to think that after all these years that he's the one that punches the clock, and the rest of them are just still there. Well, in the uh, absence of Charlie Watts, the band rolled on, and in the absence of Juju Smith Schuster, the band rolls on. Uh, you know, we, we we had to get back to that at some point in time. I yeah. love the segue. I love the segue. <laughs> so so we're sitting here. I'm like trying to figure out. You know, James Washington had, what, eight snaps, one target, nine yards. After the first quarter, he parked it on the sidelines. Ray Ray uh, McLeod had, uh, of the 75 offensive snaps, he played 52. Um, What do you make about that, Max? You know, I I think one of the biggest things, because, you know, James was coming off of the groin from the week before. And I just have to think that in the practice week, when it came Wednesday and Thursday, he didn't get a lot of reps as they were still trying to figure it out. And so when it came into game time, a guy who might be questioning how does it feel, it doesn't feel quite right, but not on the injury report, I think it has to do with lack of preparation and game time prep, whereas Ray Ray has been there the entire time. And right. Ray Ray gets all of these assignments. He has to know everything because he is that sub guy off the bench. And I think for James – James probably needed a little bit extra time, and that's why you didn't see him as much. And I think that's why we got more Ray Ray because we didn't even see Cody White. Remember, Cody White a couple weeks ago was in the game, you know, a significant amount. But I think with the way that the Steelers deployed personnel after realizing the availability of James, that's when you saw more 22. That's when you saw more 13. We saw a lot more tight end packages in there. Um that didn't allow for James to be in there. It wasn't no longer 11 personnel, which is one tight, one running back. But you saw more 13 where we had three tights. And you saw Eric Ebron lining up a couple times as a slot guy. You saw Pat Fryermuth as a slot guy. And Zach Gentry was more of your inline uh, tight end because he started the game. Yes, he did. First, first two plays at the game, Zach was a starting tight That's end. That's right. He was in there. And he was in there so – I think that's where you're seeing the evolution of Matt Canada trying to figure out how do I get these three great pass catchers and big bodies out into the game plan. So I think that was more so that than James probably not 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 being a hundred percent right on, on on that on that groin. I think all of those things kind of was a perfect recipe of why we didn't see James Washington, especially when you know you have the buy. So you're like, do I push him now? Right. And then him have to be injured and dealing with it? Or do I give him more rest now so that he gets that additional week? And then after we come out of the bye, now he's more inserted into the office. And now we've now he's gotten up to speed on everything with the play calls and with the responsibilities going to be. So I think it's a bit of both of those things. And right now, I would not put James Washington in over Pat Fryer move. No, no, absolutely. 
I mean, I, yeah. one of the things we got right now. Seven to seven. I was telling seven you. Seven to seven targets. <laughs> you know, we, yeah, seven to seven, 58, the very dependable yards. And, you know, it, it, in in essence, picking up snaps from Juju Smith-Schuster, which we were talking about, and I go, well, you, let's call him Pat Pat Smith-Muth. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, something exactly. like that, right? You got a yeah, name for him. What else you got? Yeah, yeah it's Pat Pat Fryer Moofster. <laughs> Friar Wooster, I like that. I think that's Friar got a little Wooster. more swag to, than than what I came up with. Either definition of it, or either either name, it tells you something about what this young man has done, what he's capable of doing, and expanding his role. Um, when I watch him, you know, he's got that box out knack. You know, when you, underneath you got the the window routes, you know, the little option, you know, hook, curl hook, all that stuff. But even yeah. when he runs the out patterns, I love how he. He really does a good job of squaring it off, making sure that his his cover can't undercut him. I mean, he protects the route, he protects Ben, and he runs to the sticks normally when he's a, if he's a third down target. Yeah, no, I mean, what Pat does, he is that you know that dependable power forward on a pick and roll. Right, he's the guy that knows how to pick the guy, but also wall the picker when his guy goes off into the main guy driving. And I think that is a skill in and of itself that makes you even more desirable. And I think that's why there was an emphasis to get him the ball because this dude is doing all the right things. He's he's not high enough on the priority chart normally when it comes to route progression, right? Right. You know, every quarterback gets his first, second, and third read. Right. And often Pat was a fourth read. You know, we talked about that Green Bay game. We broke down that play when Eric Ebron fell down. Yes. And I was like, why would you throw it to Najee and not Pat Fryermuth? Is because he Ben had his first, second, and third read all on the same side of the ball. If you turn back for the fourth on a fourth down, that's a sack. Yes. So you're not going to do that. I don't care how open Pat was. Pat was a decoy in that. So I think now they've taken an onus since then to put Pat in the top three of the route progression, get him to the vision side of it. And we saw that play out, hence why he had seven catches and seven very good catches. Think about the one on the sideline, Wolf, right? where he catches it at about eight and then, boom, powers forward to get the first down for the extra two yards. Like, that's what you need from Pat Firemuth, and that's where he's at his best because he knows how to wall a guy off and create space for Ben to find a wide target. Ben doesn't have to place it in the right spot and lead a guy. When you have a tight end that's big and physical, you put it on his numbers and let him do the rest. And we kind of saw that in this game. So I think that's one where we would normally see Juju in that, right, coming across the middle, or he's going to be the one that's going to be the physical guy to get the extra yard or or two. Pat kind of filled that role in this game. And I think that's what we plan on seeing moving forward until James Washington gets up to speed and then we can go into some cute 11 personnel stuff. But – for the most part, Pat can fill that role because he's a great body awareness guy. That's kind of the biggest thing. He's body aware. And that's, I know where I'm at, but I also am aware enough to know where my defender is and put him on my hip as opposed to throwing the hands out and trying to box a guy out, right? It's different when you have, when you could feel that guy and throw your shoulder and your hip into it Yes. versus trying to get a hand to try and divert him. That's what Pat does really well. You know, I would I absolutely agree with you, you know, and even to the point where he is a better blocker than Eric Ebron. You know, he is uh, yeah. uh, he's he's as capable as Ebron in some of the shorter routes as Ebron is. Although I will say this, I, I've yet to see a, a situation where you could put 
pad out their one-on-one like they did last year in a game, and, and Ebron beats a corner out there one-on-one. Yeah. I mean, that that was pretty amazing. You know, Ebron does have his talents. He does have his place. I wish they would stop using him at the point of attack and blocking schemes. But uh, Todd Heap. Think more Todd Heap than Rob Gronkowski. Good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Use him on the backside cutoffs. Don't use him at point of attack. Yeah. And then try and get him into insertion roles, like we said, splitting him out. Yes. And letting him work on a safety, work on a corner, or even isoing him, right, when you have a trips formation. Right. Throw the three to the right and then put him isoed on the backside and let him work against that corner. Like, that's where Eric is at his best because he is a great ball catcher downfield. Yes. Like, a lot of your deeper routes, your deep seams, your deep post routes, your deep corners, he can run all of those routes in the route tree and even your intermediates. But the short range, the button-go type of routes, right. he's not as strong in. I would agree, absolutely. You know, and it, yeah. it's interesting because you look at these tight ends, man. You got Eric, you got uh, Pat, you got um, Zach Gentry. Zach. And yeah. Zach is is a you know again I often I, I make a lot of fun of it I like Ebron's quote six twelve but that six twelve it you know is is something where his catch radius is so big as far as his wingspan you know those things that if he can learn to post up in the middle if he can have the eyes like Fryermuth has in the middle you know to play the slot receiver he to me Fryermuth sees things like a good slot receiver you know he's got that uh, little yeah. bit at an ESPN thing going on with the quarterback. He reads the safeties well. He, he is able to post up where he needs to post up and box out, as you pointed out, get his hip into guys and play with, you know, almost like that, that Braille-like feel where you, you feel your way in there. Um, but Zach Gentry is a guy that, boy, if you could learn those skills like Fryermuth has, I, that's going to accelerate his ability to be productive in the middle of the field. Well, I, I think that it, it was a, a lot was revealing the week before when they tried to get that tight end screen to yes, him. yes, yeah, a little tight end delay. So I think if you can get tight end delays in there for him, where he either body chip presence and then just kind of hook up on on the on, on the seams and give him a jump ball, right? Throw him a little throw him a little jump ball where fifty fifty because right he can out jump most of those guys because he's so tall, right? So get him in there and then imagine you have Ebron running a route isoed on the backside of that. Yes. That comes across and deeper behind Zach. So you have two layers that the quarterback can see within his vision without having to tilt his head. Yeah, you can give a little little fake nod to the right to get the safety to hold, but cl- those clear-out type of routes. I think that is something that hopefully th- they start to develop more of because I think you could do that at 13 personnel because these these receivers that are tight ends are that good. Yes. That you can consider them receivers in those type of situations, and they can run those routes. So I would love to see that progression. But I think Pat's your guy that can do slot responsibilities and block on the line of scrimmage and detach at times. I think Eric Ebron's a good backside tight end if you're in a two-tight set. And he's also a guy you can split right. out an ISO. And I think Zach is more of your inline. He's going to take the collisions, and he can be the jump ball tight end delay guy. Sounds good to me. And when you know what sounds yeah. good to me, too? We're going to take a break and come back and wrap it up right here in the locker room.
This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome back, everybody, for the final segment here. And uh, Sorry to the people that were on the phones and stuff. We don't have time, but uh, we want to wrap this thing up because one of the things I wanted to talk about was because, you know, we, we were talking last segment, uh, Max, we are talking about the defense finding equilibrium. Needed... When they needed the stops, they got them in the fourth quarter with three three and outs. So, too, did the offensive line, the running game, find itself. When you've got uh, Najee Harris getting 48 of his 53 second-half yards in the fourth quarter on runs uh, pounding away, i got to tell you something, that, was, that says something to me. When you can run the ball when the other team knows you're going to run the ball and you continue to run the ball, in such a matter, uh, in such a way that um, you, you're running out the game, doing what you need to do, and, and getting down in position to, for field goals and things of that nature. Um, that's a great job by the line. That's a great job by Najee. It's a great job by Matt Canada and not panicking and getting away from it. 48 of the 53 uh, yards came in the toughest part of the game when the toughest people are out there holding and going at it, when I say holding on, I mean banging away out there. That, to me, that, that was remarkable. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it, was an exor- it was an exercise of resiliency, right? I mean, it's one of those you didn't have a lot of great success early on, but you didn't go away from it, which is what we saw early in the year. They went away from it. You know, they started supplementing a lot of different – passing games and yes I know Ben still threw the ball 40 times in this game but I think it was it was a supplement to get back to the run versus abandoning the run I think that was that that's one of the big that's a good way to put it yeah they did it to supplement early on to keep the sticks moving and keep the rhythm going the cadence right of what you're trying to do but they didn't forget about it and they came back to it and they allowed Najee to continually chop wood because I think this D-line they were just lathered up for it right you know they're in a position they're in the same spot as the Steelers. They got to win. The defense has to be overly aggressive and try and apply pressure. And they had success early. And our 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 tactic was let's go after their let's go after their corners. Let's go after their safeties. These guys like to hit Jamal Adams and Diggs, right? Oh my! They like to hit, but they're they're susceptible in coverage, and we kind of took advantage of that. So anytime you saw them on the slot, it was like throw the bubble, because we knew that. If you insert Jamal Adams into the run game, he's going to be a lot more effective than covering a guy on a bubble screen. So you tried to do some different things, and then you came back to home. And you came back to Najee being a primary running back, not a scat or catching back in right. that situation. And I thought, I thought that was a good way to utilize it. And, hey, he still got his touches. He yes, still he touched did. the ball, what, 28 times? Still had 28 to 30, which is – right around where you want to see him, 26 to 30 touches a game to make a difference, he still was well within that range. It's just this more running back division of labor versus receiver division of labor. And we saw more two tight end personnel from the Steelers down, down yeah. the stretcher. That's a great job. You know, again, we, we were talking last segment about the three tight ends and what they bring to the dance. Each one of them has some unique characteristics that make them uh, applicable in uh, certain situations better so than, than other situations. And we were talking about, and certainly you want to see that expand. I still want to see um, 
I want to see. I still want to see Najee have that opportunity hit a home run somewhere. Did you see the Bills game last night? Did you watch it? I, I watched just a little yes. bit of it. But did you see Derrick Henry on that seventy-one or seventy-six yarder? Do you realize it's, that man almost recorded twenty-two miles an hour in open field? Think about it. Twenty-two. You if if he was running down the sidewalk through a school uh, school you know area, their slowdown, yeah. they'd have to pull him over. <laughs> they'd have to ticket yeah, him. Well, well, no, they, they 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 would definitely you know stop him, search him, you know, and be like, hey. Why were you going so fast? Hey, 20, no 22 dro- miles an hour. He's 260 pounds. That, that is a mini Cooper rolling <laughs> through the school zone. That is a mini Cooper. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, and that's the thing. It's like we know Najee has his home run capability. I think it just comes down to that trust and having a play. Where Because this is the other thing when I watched the game, Wolf. Early on while we didn't have so much success in the run game. Right. We were outflanked on a lot of those where the safeties didn't move with the motion mm-hmm. or you brought a receiver in to block and the corner never adjusted over the top. He stayed on the edge and then we ran to that direction. Okay. Yeah. Where there was more guys there than we had to block because you tried to bring a guy in to take that extra man, but you brought one in with you. It wasn't like it was a replace or a shift. So now you've got five guys on the front side and you only got four blockers. Yes. You can't win with that situation. So that's something I think they're still kind of exploring, trying to figure out their sub-package running to get into that situation. But I would just love to see a 22 personnel line up and go and put good on good. Because also another thing, guys were slipping. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you noticed. Right. That. Guys were slipping um, with the tread early on in the game. So even – like the counter, the counter that Kevin Dotson ran. Yes, he fell down. He fell down after he pulled out of his out, out of his um, out of his turn. Yes, you know, when he was pulling, I was like, "You can't win with that." And I mean, and Najee's up at the line of scrimmage, and you've got a guy trying to stand up, a guy trying to come over his back. I mean, you know, it it wasn't as clean as we would have liked. And, I, and and listen, I'm all about power and gap scheme stuff. Right. But sometimes just make it easy and just have them go forward, body on body double teams, and just drive up to the backer. Because that's where Trey Turner and that's where Kevin are at their strongest. And Kendrick Green as well. Kendrick, you put Kendrick on a double team, he will finish it. Trust me. You know, it's like it's like the last slice of pizza. You don't have to ask Kendrick Green if he wants the last slice of pizza. He's no. taking the last slice of He's, pizza. He- so, yeah. <laughs> you know what I noticed now? Watching Kendrick Green, part of the problem, his wall sets, he has trouble with, with Trey Turner and Kevin Dotson. I think the guards can do more to protect his soft shoulder. You know when it when yeah. he's got a soft shoulder, whether it's to his snap side and so forth. I mean, you got to do more to help that kid out. You can't turn a a three hundred and fifty pounder on a direct bull rush on a guy who's snapping the ball, making sure to shotgun snap it back or what have you. And and you as the guard, you don't go down and plant that that uh, three hundred fifty pounder, stop him in his tracks so that your center has time to root under him. Yeah, I, yeah, I noticed that too. Is that a lot of their six-man pro, um, when the guards are uncovered, they're so quick to get out and help the tackle. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that's a byproduct of because Dan Moore's a rookie that you're asking Kevin Dotson to look at his inside first. But I'm like, you're in between two rookies and you're a second-year guy. Yes. I would think I, would, I don't see as much hand presence and eye check 
for the left tackle, right? Hand presence with the center and look out to your tackle. Absolutely. Getting your body out there to the tackle and leaving a void and a bigger A-gap for the for the center to now have to deal with. Absolutely. You are spot on, my man. All right. Thank you so much, Max. Have a great day down in the Valley of the Sun, and we will do our job here in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. We're going to the Light of Life Rescue Mission tonight for the gala at Heinz Field. So I'm excited. We'll be there. Yeah, it'll be a good time. So thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you tomorrow, my friend. All right. You take care, Wolf. Thanks, folks. We'll be back tomorrow.